Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 8th, 2017. On today's show, we'll stop by the water cooler and discuss selling DVDs, a Lion King sing-along, and a board game cafe. In the news, we'll be talking about Netflix's big comic book company acquisition. Uh, this weekend's box office, Thriller 3D, Fantastic Four, and a bevy of MCU tidbits, from Guardians director James Gunn. And in the mailbag, we'll talk about home the home movie experience. I'm Peter Soretta, and on today's show, I have with me Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Brad Oman. How's it going? Uh, let's jump into the water cooler. Uh, over the weekend, I, ha- I uh, went to Amoeba Records in Los Angeles, which is kind of like... I mean, it's a big record store that also sells DVDs and Blu-rays, and you can... It's known for the place where you go to sell your old uh, crap, right? Um, And uh, my girlfriend, Kitra, and I had some old DVDs that we were looking to get rid of. We're doing a bit of uh, house cleaning, some spring cleaning in summer. Um, And and, um, went there to sell some of these, like the last of our DVD collections. And do you guys know how much DVDs sell for nowadays? 
next thing. I was so shocked, okay, because, like, I used to own 3,000 DVDs, and I sold them when I moved from San Francisco to L.A., and I guess that was probably a good time to sell them, Um, uh, the majority of my collection, Uh, and I think back then I was getting, like, five or ten bucks each or something. We went there, and I believe she sold a Lost, a box set of Lost, like a season of Lost, which I think sold originally... MSRP of $60. How much do you think they bought it for? $5. Uh, I would say $1.50. 50 50 cents. Whoa! 50 cents. And and, and this isn't like an outrageous fee because they sell it for $2. We went upstairs to the DVD collection. They sell that exact season of loss for $2 on the shelf. This is how worthless DVDs have become. It, oh, man. It, it is ridiculous. Like I, I, I was thinking to myself while I was there, I was like, I have some friends who have kids, and instead of buying them the the latest greatest video game system, they you know have like an older video game system, and you know they can easily buy cheap games and like give them a new game every you know few days because it yeah. only costs a few dollars. And I was thinking, if you didn't care about quality, if you didn't like care about having HD quality. You could have a movie collection for like a thousand dollars. You could have a movie collection bigger than mo- most anyone's movie collection <laughs> by just going to Amoeba or eBay. Like you're buying movies now, literally, like for pennies. Like there, there are movies on sale for fifty cents. <laughs> um, it's ridiculous. Do you guys still have uh, DVD collections? Oh, yeah. I'm a big uh, physical media proponent. I won't stop buying physical media until it's completely dead just because I see how quickly things come and go on Netflix and Hulu. And I'm not in a place where I'm going to start rebuying all my stuff on digital. And there is still a slight quality difference between Blu-ray and digital HD uh, and I just, I just, I like, the, I also like the physical representation that my movie library has. Like people walk into my house and they're like, holy shit, that's a ton of movies. And like, there's a good t- time period where people just go through and they look and see what I have. And it's kind of, I don't know. I think it's just a cool thing that kind of gets lost if all you have is a d- digital movie collection. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. I, I do miss that. But do you actually have DVDs? I'm not, I'm not talking about Blu-rays. Yeah. I still have DVDs just because there are some movies where like, uh, I don't really ever need to watch in on blu-ray necessarily like i'm if i can get the best quality possible for a good price that's that's one thing but if like since there were a bunch of movies that i already had before blu-ray came out uh like i don't think i ever need to watch a movie like say uh the notebook on blu-ray you know like i'm fine with a dvd if like (laughs) i ever want to watch it or you know anybody comes over and wants to watch it so like you know i don't have a problem not having that on (laughs) blu-ray Yeah, and we similarly, we we sort of like, you know, when Blockbuster was going out of business, we bought a bunch of DVDs for super cheap. And it's the same sort of thing. Like, I think we got Crazy Heart for, you know, 50 cents or a dollar or something. And like, I don't need to rebuy that on Blu-ray if I ever want to watch it. I'm fine with just watching the DVD. So, yeah, I have a few in our collection that are sort of like that, where it's just like, you know, whatever kind of movies that I'm not, that are not my favorite or anything, but just, uh, you know, ones that are nice to have if you're looking to watch them. And I, I was just shocked. Oh, and by the way, when I say fifty cents, they bought it for fifty cents. That's for fifty cents in store credit. If you don't want store credit, I think it was like 
like 30 cents or something. Wow. If, you, if you don't want store credit, they slap you in the face. Yes, they yeah, they basically actually they uh my girlfriend Kitra brought like I think 50 DVDs there and they actually did not accept like 25 of them. They, they were like them into yeah, a dumpster. They were like we have to, we either have too many of these titles or you know they were probably like super cheap on Black Friday or whatnot, or yeah. they're like too scratched to even you know whatever. Uh, but uh, and we'll talk about this more in um, the mailbag, which we're talking about the home movie experience. But uh, just to go back on what you said, Brad. I uh, I've gotten lazy. I've I've caught in the uh, millennial flu where I uh, you know I have this drawer of Blu-rays, but. It's all the way across the living room. Hold on, hold on. And I, I have, and, and I, 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 no, but I, I have all these movies on Netflix and stuff. It's at the touch of my finger. I don't need to. It's just so it's so far away, Brad. And I got to put it no, in no. there and switch the input. And I get it. I want to go back to what you said though by calling it the millennial flu because <laughs> technically I'm a millennial. And I'm. I, I think that you defining laziness as just being a generation thing is important. Okay, I apologize to millennials everywhere. The millennial era starts in 1982, so yeah, be careful. <laughs> Brad, what have you been doing over the weekend? Uh, I've been real lazy, just like a millennial. <laughs> uh, no, this weekend I um. So I went down to see some friends in Lafayette. Um, I, I live in Northwest Indiana, and I went to, to school at Purdue University in West Lafayette. And uh, one of my high school friends and his wife moved down there because her family lives down there. And for a, a while, a little while now, I think a couple of years or so, there's been this games cafe that's open called Merlin's Beard. And it's really cool because uh, I'm the kind of person who likes to play games, but I don't have enough people who live in my area that I can frequently play them enough with to warrant, you know, dropping 40 or $50 on a board game. But I always like to try new ones. And Peter, I know you're a big like board game guy too. Um, yeah. So th- what's cool about this is Merlin's Beard, this place in Lafayette, it has you come in and you pay a $5 fee. And they have a whole library of pretty much every board game you could conceive of from the basic you know, Monopoly Scrabble stuff all the way up to the way more complicated games like uh, you know, Zombicide and Mechs and Minions and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so you just go there. You can spend as much time as you want to. You pay $5, play whatever games you want to, and they have, uh, like, they have beer and wine. They have food. Uh, they have these amazing cream soda slushies and stuff. Um, so, yeah, so we went there this weekend, and we played a few games, which is always really fun. We played a game called Room 25, which is kind of like the concept of – Yeah, I've always wanted to play this. It's like – cube the game right yeah basically like it's uh they the guy there described it to us as kind of being similar to running man too it's we you, you there's um there's eight of you and you're locked in this prison and the idea is to escape and there are um there's a total of 25 um square cards that each represents a room and you start in the center room which is your prison and you have a limited amount of abilities that you can do from that room. You can look into a room adjacent to the square you're in. You can just move into it. You can push someone into it. Or you can shift the entire row of rooms so that it moves uh, other squares around in in a given row. And the idea is you have to move or carefully move around the, these areas to figure out which rooms are which, try to survive, and find out where the exit is, 
and get everyone there and then push the uh, escape room out of the off the board so that you can make it out. But uh, there are two guards among the prisoners who are secret and they're trying to make sure that you don't escape, which means they can either try and kill you by pushing you into a room that's dangerous or, you know, lying until it comes to, an opportunity comes along to sabotage the, the escape. Wait, are it's these really- are, are these played by other players in the game? Yes. Okay, you you sold me on this. I got to buy this right now. It's really fun, and I got to I, I got to play. Uh, we played this once before, and this time I was one of the guards, and it was really. It made the last time we played, the guards didn't really reveal themselves until much later in the in the play, and this time about four moves in, I was one of the guards, and I had the opportunity to push somebody into a room that causes instant death, and <laughs> and, and I did it. I was like boom, and it changed the game because like. The entire game after that was everyone like, oh, shit, we have to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, that sounds cool. I, I, I know people probably aren't listening to this for board game talk. So let's move on to Ben. Ben, yes. what were you doing this weekend? Uh, yeah, so on Saturday night, I went to the Greek theater for the first time here in Los Angeles and saw a sing-along version of The Lion King, the 1994 Disney animated movie. Um I watched this movie a bunch of times when I was growing up, obviously, but I hadn't seen it in, you know, probably since I was 12 or 13 years old or something. So uh, when this uh, opportunity came up, I was like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And maybe I can write about it for the water cooler. So um, I'm going to be doing that uh, this week. And then, yeah, the the movie was really great and not really surprising there. The Lion King has always been sort of uh, one of my favorite Disney animated films. I feel like it's um, just, you know, it is stripped down like primal storytelling that's like highly emotional and just it's it's fantastic. And the music is really, really good. Not only the songs, which surprisingly, the people there during the sing-along were not really that into, except for Hakuna Matata, which everybody like busted out around me and, and everybody seems to love that song. But the thing that surprised me the most was how good Hans Zimmer's like instrumental score was that's something i didn't really pay much attention to as a kid but watching this now it's like my god like that that music is so amazing it's it swells in all the right moments and it's just it really um enhances the entire experience so uh yeah that was pretty cool and then uh because it was like a 90s throwback kind of thing there was like a 90s red carpet there and all these you know mario lopez was there and tori <laughs> spelling and like you know a lot of people from the 90s um i ended up sitting next to sharknado star ian zeering who apparently was on like beverly hills 90210 back in the day or something like that who, he was who there apparently the- if you if you read on the site he made more money on the last sharknado than gal gadot did on wonder woman yeah, I saw crazy. that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty Sad. crazy. Um, yes. So yeah, he ended up being like a really nice guy though. He was like chatting it up with me and my wife, and uh, he like in the very beginning of the movie when during a circle of life when Rafiki lifts Simba up on Pride Rock, he took his young child and lifted her up into the <laughs> air in, the, in his seat. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was quite an experience. It was we it was so weird. We saw like David Oyelowo and UFC's Chuck Liddell. <laughs> it was like where else are you going to see all of these people gather? on a Saturday night. That but, is funny. Yeah, there you go. I, I've never actually been to a single one. I think I've avoided it because I don't... Uh... Like, he doesn't like fun. He doesn't like fun. <laughs> no, but I want to enjoy the movie, and I feel like people singing around me, I don't like karaoke. Like, karaoke's yeah. bad for me. 
Right. Like, like I said, you don't like fun. <laughs> no, Peter, I'm, I've been the same way. Like I, this is my first uh, sing along experience. And I also, you know, have uh, largely avoided them because they do them at like the Hollywood Bowl and stuff like that a lot around here in L.A. And I have always avoided them because, yeah, I'm just like, I just want to watch the movie. But for this, it was like something that I'd seen a bunch of times before. It wasn't like, you know, it was sort yeah. of an optimal uh, sort of experience. And I just m- mainly wanted to go to like refresh my memory on the the details of the movie and i was like oh yeah no there will probably be people singing it'll be fine but everybody was like pretty reserved you know fairly quiet throughout the whole thing i other than hakuna matata it was like people just barely sung the whole thing so uh yeah i don't know if it was just this uh this version this movie that that happened in or if uh or if that's sort of a regular thing for these types of uh, screenings I've okay. always wanted to go to a sing-along, but I've never really had the opportunity to. They don't happen too often around here, especially now that the Alamo Draft House that was just an hour and 15 minutes away is closed. But uh, it's, uh, it's so, yeah, I've always wanted to do it for a movie that like I just know by heart and would, would make yeah. it really fun. Yeah. Okay, we, we spent too much time at the water cooler, guys. we got we got to <laughs> go over to the newsroom. Let's follow me over to the newsroom over here uh, where we're going to talk about this weekend's box office. Um this weekend last year, Suicide Squad came out and made $133 million. This year, The Dark Tower came out. So the movie made $19.5 million over the weekend. So that's a drastic drop a year later. Um, the Dark Tower, I, I, I would say that's disastrous. Deadline is saying that, you know, with those numbers both studios that funded this MRC and Sony will each lose only $15 million at the end of the year from this film. But that, that does not seem good for the Dirk tower. Uh, the, the other bit of news in the box office is that despicable me has now become the highest grossing animated franchise of all time. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it made close to 900 million this summer with despicable me three, that puts it to 3.528 billion worldwide, surpassing Shrek's uh, 3.51 billion, and um, obviously they're they're making more of those movies. So that franchise is just going to continue to go on. Did that uh, that box office count include Minions? I assume. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's. I mean, I guess that's considered a spinoff, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, do you think with this low Dark Tower box office that we'll still see this TV series and sequel? No. No, no I don't. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I'd like to see the TV series just because I think it would be it'll fill in gaps and it would be – I think TV is where a story like that's going to thrive. So I kind of kind of hope they still give it a chance. But It, it, it you know, should have been an HBO series from the beginning, I think. Like a, you know, eight-season HBO series. Yeah. Um, but let's move on. Uh, Netflix has purchased um, a comic book company, Mark Miller's comic book, comic book company, uh, Miller World. Uh, and that uh, that is important for variety, variety of reasons, but that's like the first time they've made an, a big acu- acquisition like this of content. So uh, Mark Miller's, you know, he has so many comics that, you know, he has uh, produced and distributed under this Miller World uh, brand, which now Netflix could do anything with. 
um, you know, instead of having to, you know, acquire the rights to these comics like they would with, you know, the Marvel series and stuff. Uh, Ben, what do we know about this deal? Yeah, so I'm not entirely sure if we know how much the the company paid for Miller World, but we do know that they are intending to make uh, new superhero, antihero, fantasy, sci-fi, and horror stories um, as Netflix originals. So this could go, this could really like run the gamut. It, it provides Netflix with a ton of resources for. Um, you know, what everybody is always talking about, which is like, what are you going to do next? Um, I'm surprised to see this from Netflix when I just read recently that they're like 20 something billion dollars in debt, I think. Um, But they're like operating well at that number. And I guess I'm, I'm guessing this wasn't a cheap acquisition for them. But apparently they know what they're doing. And uh, yeah, I mean, there are a ton of comics that are under this banner, including um, American Jesus, Jupiter's Legacy, Empress. But I think the one that I'm most excited about is uh, Nemesis, which is described as what if Batman were the Joker? Basically, like, what if someone trained to become the ultimate supervillain instead of the ultimate hero? And uh, Miller published this comic through Marvel's icon imprint but it appeared in the list of properties that netflix had you know in in their uh, announcement video that netflix released and we embedded that in the article so you can see that there um but yeah this is a a movie property that i think joe carnahan and maybe his brother i think worked on like years ago they were talking about turning that into a feature film and now maybe it'll actually happen but just as like a netflix original so um yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, Mark Miller is like one of those guys, you know, he, he wrote Kick-Ass and Kingsman. Um, I'm not sure if he... And he wrote the original Civil War comic that that's the true, yeah. uh, and like, Marvel movie was based on. Yeah, and like Old Man Logan and stuff as well. So he, he's done a, a ton of like really recognizable work. I just don't know if Netflix is like, is the right fit for his sort of graphic um gra- graphic material i don't know what do you think peter is this like does this make sense to you i don't know it makes sense to me because it like netflix needs stuff to make movies and tv shows off of and this gives them a library and a growing library because that comic book company is thriving um you know it's not like big hits like marvel and dc but you know, wanted came from there. And, you know, uh, you know, he has some great, he's always good at coming up with some gritty high concept stuff. Like chrononauts is like this time travel kind of story done in a way that you haven't seen before. I didn't particularly love it. It's a comic, but, uh, maybe that could make a TV TV series. Um, but we'll see. Um, I think this is interesting because I think this is the first we'll see of many, purchases from netflix i think we're gonna see them going uh, on on a uh acquisition spree like disney did with pixar and marvel and star wars maybe not of those caliber of properties but um you know it's it's definitely more profitable for a company to own all that than to be licensing you know getting rights yeah it's also worth mentioning one more thing is um Miller World is still going to be producing stuff, but they're going to be publishing new stories under a Netflix label. So I think technically this means that Netflix is now in the comics business. So that's interesting, too, about, you know, what sort of um, development and and growth they could experience over the next few years in that realm also and how exactly the distribution will work for that and, and all that stuff. 
So I wonder if that means that they might produce comic book series sequels to the TV shows and movies that they produce. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that, that opens, makes sense. Yeah, that could be interesting. Um, Michael Jackson's Thriller is kind of in a renaissance right now, which is featured in the Stranger Things 2 uh, trailer that was released at Comic-Con. And now it's going to be re-released in 3D. Brad, what do we know about this? When when can we see this? I want to see Thriller in 3D. I want to see it in 3D as well. Unfortunately, there's no indication as to when we, the, the regular movie-going audience, will be able to see it. But it will have its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival when that kicks off at the end of August and into September. Um, this is something that's actually been in the works since 2014. There was an announcement about it, and I guess John Landis had this ongoing lawsuit uh, with Michael Jackson's estate because he was owed some money uh, from Thriller. And so there was this ongoing disagreement, and they finally worked it out, and that allowed them to move forward so that they could do this 3D conversion of Thriller. Um, so it sounds like it took a while to finally get done, but it's finished. It'll premiere at Venice Film Festival, and along with it is coming will be coming um, this making of documentary. It's a 45 minute long look at how they made the music video Thriller, and it's only ever been available on VHS. It was sold between 1983 and 1990, and otherwise you haven't been able to get it on Blu-ray or DVD or anything like that. So that will be screening. That, that making lo- that making of is great. I used to watch that all the time on VHS as a kid. I remember seeing parts of it, but I don't th- I don't know if I ever sat down and watched it in its entirety. So I would I would like to see that. And what what's interesting is when this was announced back in back in 2014, originally they were talking about re-releasing Thriller in theaters and on Blu-ray. So I feel like after it has its world premiere at Venice, they will have some kind of theatrical release event that where they show both the music video, which is like 13 minutes long, and the, the making of documentary. And since we're only a couple months away from Halloween or so, I wouldn't be surprised if they already have something worked out where it will return to theaters around Halloween this year. Yeah, like a one weekend only kind of one of those fathom events i could definitely see something like that it's weird though because i feel like the 3d craze at least at home has kind of died down there isn't many people watching 3d movies in their home theaters so i I feel like they're gonna have to find a theatrical venue for this somewhere um let's jump into marvel uh marvel of i think last year it was rumor i mean marvel basically got rid of their Fantastic Four comic books. And it was rumored that it was all over the rights issues to the, the, the film rights because Fox owns the film rights and Marvel really didn't want to help them promote their films. Uh, now it seems like we have some confirmation of this. Ben, what do we know? Yes, so writer Jonathan Hickman, who uh, really brought the Fantastic Four into the modern era, modern era with his 2009 run on the comics, uh, has basically confirmed the rumors that um, that Marvel essentially just uh, slammed the door on Fantastic Four for that exact reason. He said to uh, in an interview with Newsarama, he said, "I think it's pretty common knowledge at this point that Marvel isn't publishing Fantastic Four because of their disagreement with Fox." Well, it bums me out. I completely understand because, well. It isn't like they're not acting out of cause. Fox needs to do a better job there. So that is, uh, you know, it was a lot of rumors, a lot of like swirling accusations and stuff. But this is 
you know, confirmation coming from somebody inside who would actually know about this. Um, and yeah, this has been going on for a couple of years now. I think the best part of this whole thing is uh, Hickman's sort of um, disparaging comments about the way that the company has handled this. He said, that kind of thinking runs contrary to everything I believe in as a professional storyteller. It comes from a place of manipulation where an attempt is made to make the reader desire something through denial. It's hacky. It's suboptimal. It's the central tenet of all shitty dating advice. If you want someone to care about a book, write a story they care about. So I, uh, admire his, uh, his comments there. I, I sort of agree with them in that. Um, but yeah, it looks like uh, Marvel has definitely, um, you know, pulled pulled this comic because of the way of their uh, relationship, uh, tenuous relationship with Fox. Yeah, and it seems like this tenuous relationship is going to continue because of uh, the Doctor Doom movie that was seemingly confirmed at uh, Comic Con this year. Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, but moving on, James Gunn has been doing a lot of press for the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two home video release. Brad, you wrote an article on SlashFilm.com kind of run, rounding up a bunch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe tidbits that we have learned from Gunn over the weekend. What have we learned? Yeah, there was like just some little interesting details he provided here and there while talking about Guardians. Uh, first of all, I have to say, if you haven't seen it yet, go out of your way to watch the Guardians Inferno music video that was released over the weekend. It's so probably good. the the weirdest and coolest special feature that they've they've done and like almost the entire cast of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is in it wearing vintage 70s disco era and lip syncing to this song where David Hasselhoff you know does his weird monotone rapping essentially um <laughs> By the way, do, it, we, do we know if that was filmed during production or is that just for the home video release I would imagine that well it's it definitely had to be after or well at least part of it came after because there's uh well, I don't want to spoil anything, but some somebody yeah, yeah. shows up somebody shows up at the end and they have a mustache and it's somebody who doesn't have a mustache in the movie. So it had to be filmed at some point when they were done that part at least had to be filmed when they were done filming. Good good but point. I, good point. But I would imagine that they probably shot it around time production since they had everybody around for it. But you know, it, it's hard to tell. But it's even James Gunn is in it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, James Gunn has but said yeah. that he's working with Kevin Feige on the next 10 years of um, cosmic Marvel movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What did he say about the future of the cosmic future of Marvel? He didn't provide anything groundbreaking, but he did say that they are working on the scripts uh, for movies in development right now. And he did use the word scripts as in multiple. And there, um, there has been talk that there will be this sh- um, shift sort of towards bringing a lot more cosmic movies into the Marvel Cinematic Universe over these next 10 years after the Avengers 4 is done. Because, uh, as we know, Kevin Feige has said the Avengers 4 is kind of the culmination of the this entire first chunk of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I think we'll be heading into a lot different territory. The assumption is that one of those movies will be um, follow the Ravagers that we met at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Another thing he said was, "Well, we know David Bowie was on the on the soundtrack to the original Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, and he wanted him to have a cameo in the sequel. He revealed what David Bowie or where David Bowie would have appeared. Where where would that have been?" Yeah, the cameo that David Bowie would have played uh, if he if he had um, lived long enough to be able to do it 
was as a member of Yandu's original crew, and that's all of those Ravagers that I just mentioned. Um, to narrow it down, I feel like he, he would have either had to have played Martinex, or maybe before uh, if he was in the running to potentially play Starhawk before Sylvester Stallone was. Um, Martinex seems like the more likely cameo um, since he wouldn't have had to be around much because the role of Starhawk turned out to be a little bit of a bigger role. But putting David Bowie in that role would have been just as interesting as having Sly Stallone in that role, if not more so. Um, so Gunn didn't clarify which character, so maybe we'll have to wait for him to do that at a different time. Yeah. Um, and one last thing from from all those – there's a ton of tidbits from all these interviews, but the one last thing – and you can read all of them on SlashFilm.com. But the one last thing I wanted to get to is David Hasselhoff claims that he's pitching James Gunn a reboot of Knight Rider. Yeah, he said uh, – apparently for some of these interviews – Hasselhoff has been paired with James Gunn, I assume just for fun and because of, you know, the, the music video and the soundtrack. Um, and he, he said that he's given some ideas to James Gunn for a Knight Rider movie. Um, and then he kind of throws some shade at some of the TV movies that have been made recently. Uh, he's like, he said, he said, I don't want it to be spoofed like Baywatch or 21 Jump Street. Those films lose what it's about and you have to respect the fans. Um, while I think he's partially right, First of all, 21 Jump Street is the gold standard for how to adapt a TV show, you know, from uh, decades ago for modern audiences. It does it in a different way than you would expect, but I, I don't think it's in a way that is disrespectful to fans necessarily. It's just a completely different approach. When it comes to something like Knight Rider, I'm not sure Hasselhoff is should be the go-to expert as to how to do this <laughs> to do this best. It's not as if you know he's this incredible creative mind or anything like that. <laughs> Um, but you know, I think there's a way to do Knight Rider that updates it for contemporary audiences, has respect for the original series, but also updates it so that it feels fresh and feels new. And it doesn't have to be a comedy like 21 Jump Street or Baywatch, but it's, you know, there, there is a way to do it. Interestingly enough, there was a time when Chris Pratt was rumored to be part of a Knight Rider reboot much later after the rumor came out, he said that it was quote unquote bullshit. So it never came to be. But if huh. James Gunn ever got around to making Knight Rider, it you know it'd be kind of cool if Chris Pratt ended up getting that role, especially since David Hasselhoff was his fictional father, as we learned in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. What do you think the chances of James Gunn actually directing or producing a Knight Rider reboot is? Because I think they're slim. I th yeah, I mean they're definitely better chances than I have of rebooting Knight Rider. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I feel like he's going to be way too busy with Marvel for a while to even consider doing that. Um, I think it's more likely that he could produce, if anything, but I can't see him directing. Okay, guys, the show's going long, so we've got to dive into the mailbag. Uh, Mitch from Maryland, which who, by the way, has quickly become our go-to uh, contributor in the mailbag. Not because he's the only one emailing in. We, we have, like, I want to say a couple dozen uh, entries to get to at this point, but we're, 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 we're trying to grab the one that's most interesting. And Mitch is always providing some interesting questions for us to talk about. Uh, he asks this time, I want to, uh, up my home theater game. Got any tips for creating a better experience at home? Screen sound, seating, lighting, remote controls, snacks, etc. What do you, uh, you know, let me go first. Uh, one thing I would definitely say is get a, Logitech Harmony remote. Uh, if you don't have an all-in-one remote and you're sitting there in the dark ages with a table full of, you know, 10 different remotes, 
you know, you need to get to the 21st century, guys. Um, my Harmony remote, I have a projection system. Uh, you know, we'll put, turn on the projector. It will, will uh, the projector screen will come down. It will turn to the input. You know, it, it does everything for me. I can even have it. I don't have it set up, but I could even have it to, you know, dim my lights as you know the movie's coming on. Uh, he calls Peter Butler. It cooks him. Uh, sandwiches yes and, and you can get one of these i think for like a hundred bucks on amazon um it's 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 an investment i think that's worth it if you de- it, at least if you are using more than one device input you know what i mean if you're, if you're just turning on your tv and using apple tv and you don't have a cable box and you know playstation whatever then maybe you don't need this but that that would be my go-to recommendation ben do you have any recommendations uh well when i was in college uh my friends and i Almost, we came very close to building stadium seating with two couches in our apartment. So depending on what age I, I, you I've are, actually, I've actually seen that before. I've actually been to yeah. someone's house who who did that. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, we thought we came up with that idea like ten or fifteen years ago or whatever it was. But um, so yeah, I mean, depending on what age you are, that's a lot more uh, doable for people in you know in college age uh, ranges than people who are you know who have families or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I would recommend maybe giving that a shot if you have the uh, the wherewithal. But then otherwise, I would say like individual seats are probably pretty important. I was talking with my wife about this beforehand. Like I posed this question to her, and she said that. Um, she has a family member who has, uh, I think one like really big couch in like a movie room. But the problem is when more people come in, you're all sort of squeezed in onto this couch and then there's only two end tables. So you don't really have a place to put your drinks or anything like that. So I would say individual seats, uh, you know, whether they're like recliners or little chairs or whatever are probably more important just to give people freedom to put food down and then and stuff like that and i would also say maybe have like a cooler or like a drink dispenser in the room so people don't have to constantly get up and go back and forth you know maybe blocking the screen for other people if they go to the kitchen or something like that so just like think about the space that you have and see, see and like I, I like how you're thinking about this flow you're thinking about it almost like a party having people over for a movie party yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Peter, I know you said you had a projector. I've never had one. I live in an apartment right now, so I, don't, I haven't really – my, like, home theater setup is pretty uh, basic at basic. this point. But when I get a house, I'm going to start to, you know, figure out how to perfect the, you know, the projection and all that stuff. Um 4K TVs obviously are, like, the big thing right now. We recorded a bunch of stuff with our New Zealand video uh, in 4K, and it looks fantastic. You have 4K then, TV? No, we don't. But okay. but uh, that's like just seeing the difference on my computer monitors and stuff of what was shot in 4K versus like 1080p or whatever is really amazing. Um, and then also we were looking into it and apparently you can like rent projectors before you buy them. So I would maybe huh. recommend doing that. Like obviously that's a big uh purchase and like a big life choice is yeah. like to, i'm gonna be a projector guy now it, so it, i would say you can rent one and like try it out before fully making that commitment and i would say this before we go to brad uh about projectors if you can have a room even in an apartment that you can block out the light um in many apartments i've ever lived in had crappy lighting you know uh, yeah. you know like you know i've been in basement level where there's no light coming in uh if you have a white wall you can get a projector for I think the projector I got, which is a BenQ. I'll put it in the show notes. I got it on a sale and it was under a thousand dollars, so it's not um, 
super expensive. I don't have, you know, it's not a 4K projector either. It's, you know, it's it's good. But it's it's probably the best, like, $1,000 range projector there is. And you, you point that at a wall, which is just as good as a screen. You don't even need a screen. I just have art in my wall, so I like to, you know have something on the wall um mm-hmm. which is why the screen comes down uh but i i, I would recommend if, if if you have the money try out a projector it, it, but only if you have a room that you can block out the light or else you're not going to be able to watch it during the daytime yeah brad do you have any uh suggestions i, I i'm looking at you I, i'm gonna i'm gonna put you i'm gonna uh put you on note brad he he mentioned snacks and I feel like you you must have a snack suggestion, like some kind of oh, snack uh, hack for movie I, watching. A snack hack? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't really have a snack hack except, man, just get some snacks. You got to <laughs> have snacks. No, yeah, there's no, there's no real snack hack that I have. I mean, I don't you, know, know, uh, you were once telling me that you put, like, all sorts of stuff in your, your, uh, in your popcorn at the movies, I think. Am I wrong? Wasn't you? No, I, no I, we, maybe we talked about it, but no, oh, okay. I'm not. I have. I will say, ever since I saw Whiplash, that scene where they put the milk duds in the popcorn, I've been like, you know, that's not a bad idea. Like I, you know, putting put, putting M and M's in the popcorn or even like a bunch of crunch or something like that. I, I haven't done it yet. I, I think about it every now and then, but I also haven't been to the movies where I've gotten popcorn and candy at the same time in a while. It's just not something that I usually do. It's usually one yeah. or the other. Um. So no, no, no. Yeah. Snack who, who has that kind of money to spend at the movie theater, Brad? <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely don't have, you know, a, a small car loan to get popcorn <laughs> and candy at the movie theater. Um, so what, what, what is your suggestion for a home theater? This is uh, going to be controversial, but I say get a get a nice small tube TV and a full screen DVD and just load it up and enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, one of the things actually I, I like, and it's not very expensive, is I like to watch movies in the dark whenever possible uh i mean obviously you can't do it during the day too easily but at night once it's dark outside i like to sit and just only have illumination come from my tv however that's not necessarily always great for your eyes so you kind of have to diffuse it a little bit and so if you um not only does it look nice but it helps with that aspect but if you can get uh, an led strip that you can uh you know put on the back of your tv so that you have a backlight you that, get you, you know, get these from cheap from IKEA, which I was at this weekend. You can get like yeah, you, 10, 20 you bucks. Them, yeah, you can get them on Amazon too. And the cool, what's cool is that they usually come with a remote that allows you to change the color, so you can change it to whatever color you want. If you you know if you have a significant other who is like the living room needs to be red, so like okay, fine. Well, then we'll make the light red. But it also uh, helps make, if you're watching a horror movie. You could put red, or if you're watching, yeah, you know, exactly. yeah. Yeah, I've done that before too, and it's just it's it kind of it just creates a nice ambiance. It it makes it 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 looks makes your entertainment system look a little bit more sleek. Um, it's just it's a nice little aesthetic touch that kind of that makes the home theater system just look a little bit more cool. And of course, if you can get yourself a nice surround sound system, you really can't beat having you know be, like get immersing yourself you know in the sound of what, whatever movie you're watching. Um, I, I don't have the system myself, but a friend of mine got it not too long ago. The the wireless Sonos speaker system oh, that's has nice incredible sound well, that, 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 that's the problem with most of these surround sound systems you got to run cables all around your your room yeah, and well, it's it's and not it, fun and so, yeah and all these speakers are wireless so they are more expensive for sure you definitely have to have some extra cash to make it work but what's great about it is um you can through an app on your phone you can calibrate uh it the, there's an automatic calibration system that bounces sound around in the room that the surround sound system exists from your phone 
and it figures out the optimal setting so that the it sounds as good as it's supposed to in that room. Yeah. Nice. I will say this though. I have I have a sound bar, like a few hundred dollar sound bar in my my bedroom and I'm not going to say it sounds better than a surround sound system, but those sound bars have gotten really good. So if you could just if you if you don't have the money for a surround sound system and you can just and you have a couple hundred dollars to spend, you could get a sound bar that will fill your room and even at times make it sound like things are happening behind you because these sound bars have, you know, the technology has just gotten better. Nice. So, yeah, that does it for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. As always, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, and all the popular podcast apps. Please go to iTunes, give us a review, a rating. It helps us out. Spread the word. Tell your friends on Facebook, Twitter, in real life. You know, we need we need, we need need some help uh, spreading the word about Slash Film Daily. Uh, we will see you guys tomorrow. <laughs>